And really, it wasn't until I had a big meeting with Walmart where the buyer there sent me down and said, look, I like you. I like this brand, but I hate this packaging. I hate this name. He really challenged me to think differently. He said, you know, you need to think authentic. You need to really tell your story as yourself. Welcome to The Irresistible Factor, a podcast where I talk to founders and investors and retailers about what it takes to launch successful brands. From developing a compelling proposition and brand identity, to raising capital, to getting distribution, and more. My name is Christy Bridges, and I'm a marketing expert with tons of experience and a true love for all things health and wellness. Welcome to today's episode of The Irresistible Factor. I'm very excited to have another woman founder on my podcast, and I would love to welcome Meryl Farr, who is the co-founder and owner of Four Sisters Rice. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thank you so much for joining us. First of all, I'm always excited to have women founders because there are not enough of us. And I think it's always really inspiring for people who are trying to figure out what to do. And I'd love to just get a little bit of background. So you are one of the co-founders of Four Sisters Rice. It's a family business. Can you just tell me a little bit about how you decided that this was going to be your path? Yeah, so there's actually four of us right there. My father had four daughters. I'm the youngest of the four of us. And really, it wasn't until I had graduated and came back to work for the family business that's predominantly in our culture, right? We take rice from the field to a finished product that it really felt like the right time for us to start a brand. And it was a way for my sisters and I to all kind of get back into the family business and have a part of that history and legacy that my father started. So you're, the business before you started the Four Sisters brand was rice farming? My father started as a farmer, but we actually expanded into drying rice and then milling rice and then distribution of rice products. So the brand is still a small part of what we do, um, but it's it's growing year after year. And what made you decide that you guys wanted to to start a brand? I mean, I know that's it's exciting and it's also really challenging, especially. Yeah, we had a lot of our customers coming to the farm or coming to the mill and wanting to tell our story for us. And we really had no way to really capitalize on that. And so we really need to tell that story in our own words. And maybe we have something here that people want to hear. And so that's really where it started, is just thinking about what would it be like to start our own brand? Do we have a story that's worth telling? And we felt like we did. So that's the genesis. So tell me what year you started the brand. So we first decided that we were going to launch a brand in 2016, but it was under a different name. It was called Ken Shaw. Ken after my family's surname, Kennedy, and then Shaw after my father's mentor, Mr. Frank Godshaw. But really, it was a total failure. And in 2019, I kind of gave myself that one last year. Okay, this is this is going to be it. We're going to make it or we're not going to make it. And really, it wasn't until I had a big meeting with Walmart where the buyer there sent me down and said, look, I like you. I like this brand, but I hate this packaging. I hate this name. I can't get this out of the side of the state of Louisiana. You know, I had AUX, right, which is very Louisiana branding. And he really challenged me to think differently. He said, you know, you need to think authentic. You need to really tell your story as yourself. That was a huge meeting for me at the time and being there at Walmart's headquarters and getting that kind of news was a bit daunting, frankly. 
But what I had created or what we had created in years, we were able to destroy in minutes. And we hired a professional agency and they came up with the name Four Sisters. And and since then, it's what we needed, right? We needed to tell that story in our authentic voice as women. And it was very powerful. And I think people wanted to hear that. But I just wasn't at the moment in 2016, I wasn't ready to tell it that way. And so super grateful that that buyer sent me down and just challenged me. Yeah, it's wild. I mean, I've been there in that office. It's intimidating. I think that's an understatement too. <laughs> that is a very much understatement. And they yes. do it that way, right? They purpose. purposely make those rooms very small. It's like being a little prison cell. Totally. Um, with a totally. you know, with a jailer across from you. So yep. Yep. So interesting. Well, I, I think that it's really interesting and I think it's of note, like, I think we should pause on it for a second because you said something really cool. You said something that we created over years was destroyed in seconds, right? That's really wild. Like you had all these ideas, you were raring to go, right? You went down there really excited. And then all of a sudden you could have walked away and been like, I guess I don't want to do this anymore. This is too hard. That was painful. And now what? But you didn't. So what made you say, okay, I'm going to figure this out and I'm going to take this as feedback and turn it into a really positive thing? What what was the thought process for you? You know, I think I had been searching for honest feedback for a while. I, you know, we really weren't making any traction. I started in 2016. This is 19, right? Yep. We had had multiple meetings at these points. I had had multiple no's from many different retailers I couldn't quite figure out what I was doing wrong. And I had never done this before. And so I kept on asking people like, and I would ask buyers. So I would go in and say, well, why do you not want to take this product? Like what, what's wrong with this product? And nobody would answer me. Nobody really gave me any honest feedback. And so I was really searching for that. And I, I try to make that part of my life even now is that I try to think about criticism as, as that that's the way to get to the yes, right? Totally. So if you can get honest feedback from people, you know, that's really what you need. You just have to open your ears to listen to it. It's hard to for people to give too, I think. Just as hard as it is to take. I think people want to be nice so badly that they don't realize that they're actually not, it's not that useful in certain situations. So I'm so happy to hear that because I think that's really important for founders to know. Like it's gonna, you're gonna get your feelings hurt and you're gonna get honest feedback. And if you do, you're lucky. Because that means you could refine and use that Absolutely. better. Yeah. So that's cool that you guys did that. How did you figure out the story? Did you always know what it was and you just were reluctant to tell it? Or did you have to do some soul searching to, to figure out how you wanted to tell it? I mean, the story's real, right? I mean, it's four yeah. daughters. My my father had um four daughters. There was no sons. And this is, you know, this is our our story, is our family. Yeah. I I don't know that I thought much about it. I just knew that that's who I was, right? So, you know, I it wasn't really until somebody said, you know, you really need to think about telling it that that it really resonated as like, well, we are different, right? I mean, we do look a little different. And yes, I mean, that something very unique about us. But I don't know that it's as unique as you think as much as just the story of our culture needs to be told differently, right? We all have biases and we think of the farmer and his overalls on the tractor and agriculture doesn't look like that anymore. Yep. And I think the people in agriculture want other people to know that so badly, right? 
And the people that are buying products on the shelf want to think of it differently too. They want to relate back to the brand. They want to see themselves in something. I was going to ask you about agriculture and being a woman in agriculture. That must be challenging also, because that's not typical, right? No, it's not. I mean, there's only a few of us in the rice industry, actually. But there is a lot of hidden women in agriculture. And I tell people that all the time because I want them to get the credit. There's a lot of fathers that have daughters, right, that have wives, mothers, right, that are kind of behind the scenes. They're doing the book work for their husbands, or maybe they're even doing some of the labor type work. There's always been women in ag. I think they've just been hidden a little bit. And so if we can tell their story a little bit through this brand, that's to me, that's incredible. But there is very few of us on the, you know, really on the front lines of ag. I will say that men in general in the agriculture industry, for the most part, have been very supportive of me. And I think it's because they want to see other women thrive in this industry and be lifted up because they also have daughters that they won't potentially join the farm. I mean, Rural America is losing population, right? So all of us have to support each other, no matter uh, female or male. Awesome. It's so nice to hear. So talk about what it's been like to launch a CPG brand in general. So first of all, you did it in 20, like a relaunch in 2019, basically. Yeah. End of 2019. I mean, December, 2019. So really it's been since 2020. Timing, timing right into COVID wild. It was interesting. I have a few more fine lines, I think, because of the last four years. But just by happenstance, I had the meeting with Walmart at the end of November 19. He told me that if I came back with a brand that he could relate to, that he would put us on shelf by March. So truly, we were able to rebrand within 30 days. Okay, got to think about that time of year too, the holiday season, everything. And then we went into stores in March of 2020 which just happened to be the same week as the pandemic. So it was just, you know, rice was like toilet paper. I don't know how else to explain it to people. Um, But we really were able to prove ourselves to that time period. Before that, you know, there was a lot of hesitancies from buyers to really believe that we had the wherewithal to really be a CPG brand at retail, that we understood what we were doing. And frankly, I understand why now they would have that hesitancy. I mean, we struggled (laughs) with some basic fundamentals at first, but we were quick learners and the pandemic kept us on our feet constantly. And so it really helped us to gain, again, that credibility with retailers and to be able to get market access. You know, people, that trial was really important for us. So, you know, we did some things that looking back, we probably shouldn't have done, but at the same time, We were able to learn from those mistakes a lot quicker. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I feel like for so many people, it was horrible and also amazing, right? At the same time, because you got some opportunities that probably wouldn't have been available had everything been status quo, but also you had to learn. I mean, it was basically like while you were in the fire, right? You were. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it was absolutely while we were in the fire learning a new industry. But also, you got to remember, you know, we, we run factory but our operation we were rice mills so we were one of the only you know one of the businesses that were yes. allowed to continue operations so every day i woke up worried about our employees our people that you know their families you know 
was anyone going to die that worked for me and how to keep those people safe? And so there was a, there was a lot of those pressures too, that aren't talked about as much anymore, but you know, it, it almost was a mission too, especially with a product like rice. I felt very strongly that if it, if the pandemic, you know, really got out of control, that it was my responsibility to make sure that the country had food to eat. Yes. And yes. rice is one of those staples, right? And for the first time in a long time, I think people actually realize the importance of how fragile these supply chains are and how important agriculture is and how important it is to support the American farmer too. So all those things were very heavy, but did allow us to, again, you know, fail fast, make those mistakes and then gain access yeah. to markets that would take it a long, a longer yeah. time. Yeah, definitely. And talk about how it's going now. So you have some, you have some good distribution and you have a brand that I happen to personally love that's in a category that doesn't feel very brandy, right? Like there's not a lot of right, there are a few rice brands, but I don't think there's anything that people are like, oh my God, that's my rice brand. Talk about that. How's it been to, to launch this brand, which is so, I feel like specific and about your family and it's for families. It just feels so good to me to have a brand like this in this category that feels like such a commoditized category at this point. How has it been for you to launch though and get distribution and all the things that go along with that? Look, I mean, it's not easy to build a CPG brand, right? It's it's, it's not. definitely not easy and it's not easy to get on shelf. It's not easy to stay on shelf and it's not easy to get that repeat customer buy. But at the end of the day, it's really it's really about the fact that our product is on on tables across America, right? And so we're we're part of their daily life. Like so I, that's how I feel, and so we're part of their family. And we want to make sure that the products that we're selling are actually something that whoever's preparing it feels really good about preparing, right? That they they are part of our family as is a result of that, and so. You know, although you know you have the challenges and things like that, I just I feel very strongly that that's that's really what it's about. And I don't want rice anymore to be commoditized, right? I mean, it should be the star of the plate. And maybe just because I'm a rice lover, I say that, but it's all about start with rice, and then you can make any beautiful dish. Yep. And so, why does rice have to live on a dusty shelf? Why can't it live somewhere else, right? Why can't it be the star? And Great. so, that's to me. One day when I look back, if I can say that we created something that changed the category forever and that for some reason, now we're the avocado, right? So avocados weren't anything. Nobody liked avocados, right? Now they're the star of the show. Yeah. So that's um, that's to me, the goal is, is to me, rice, rice deserves better than dusty shells. I think it's interesting. And, you know, it was something we talked about a little bit. I think a lot of people don't know that there are wildly big differences in the quality of rice brands. I just don't think that's something that we're, we've talked about enough. So how do you get people to understand that? Because other categories have done it, right? Like we all know there's a big spread on pasta brands. There are some that are really inexpensive and low, lower quality. And then there are some that are, you know, $12 a box and people are buying them. So how do you go about getting that perception shift? Yeah, I think we're learning and we're trying to figure that out ourselves. But what we do know is that over time, brands in this category have not been as focused on quality, right, as they have been 
for price. And in some cases, that's, again, the consumer misconception or not understanding the difference in quality products. I think that the consumer does understand, especially the ethnic consumer, the difference between rice that they like, and then sometimes they cook rice and it's really gummy or something like that. And so I think they do understand it, but they're just, they're not like, oh, well, if I picked that one, it would be different. And so that education piece is something that we're working on telling, but people people want to eat quality products more than ever right now. I mean, people are not substituting quality, right? And so if we can, if we can be that quality find for a consumer, I think when you look at just the cost of rice in general for the amount of meals that you get with it, it's, it's a no brainer. It's a no brainer for the consumer. Right. And it just, again, it, it makes that whole meal so much more delicious when your primary grain or, or starch is, is a quality product. Totally agree. Talk about some of the challenges. Cause I know, I mean, I talk to founders all the time. I know there are so many, but what have been the ones where you've been like, oh, I don't know how we're going to get through this or the ones where you really learned something that was super valuable. Obviously the Walmart story is one of them, but talk about some of the other challenges you've had since you launched four sisters and now see your, find yourself with all this distribution and still a lot of consumers who don't know. Oh gosh, we've had, we've definitely had lots of challenges. We've had some operational issues with just trying to understand retail and and how, you know, discounts work and things like that. We've had just, you want to talk about omni-channel marketing, right? I mean, how complicated that can be if you know nothing about it, right? So a lot of it is just learning on the go and um, trying to figure out what our consumers doing and and the consumer has been changing too really the last four years. I mean, even myself, right? You want to shop in the store, then you want to shop online, then you want to shop at grocery pickup, then you want to do so get to appeal to all these people. And as a small brand, trying to figure that out and and trying to put that into the marketing piece can be really challenging. I think right now the most challenging thing that we have is just as we kind of grow into ourselves, right? It's a little bit like watching a child grow and they've got little wobbly feet. It's that you just tend to, you get a little bit of distribution and then you fall back somewhere, right? Or this skew made it, but this skew didn't. And so trying to balance that and um, keep the, you know, the entire team and the market and everyone excited, I think can be a challenge. But overall, this is fun, right? Challenges are opportunities. I mean, to me, I don't, I don't see them as setbacks. I see them as again that finding that little bit of okay, what am I doing wrong so I can so I can change that and improve. That's that's what it's about. Yeah, I think it's a good mindset for a founder to have because you are going to have them, right? And oh my god, I mean over and over every day. Look, <laughs> if, I mean it's highs and lows and highs and lows, and so you you do you have to kind of just don't see the lows as as what they are. So I was going to ask you about that. I think highs and lows are interesting, and everyone talks about them and some people are with them, right? They're super high when they're super high. And then when they're low, they're so far down that they almost can't get back up. And I I don't know, for me, it's always felt like trying to find a way not to let either of those get you too excited or depressed because they're, they're, the swings are big and often. Um, how do you handle it? You know, I was talking to a friend about this recently and you're absolutely right. I mean, to really live a fulfilled life and to have true happiness, you have to be able to be happy in the down moments. 
and in the high moments. You can't just live on the peaks, right? And so, again, I think it's a shift in mindset and that you don't see the valleys as the valleys. There's always that silver lining, right? Living, you know, with your glass half full instead of half empty, those kind of things. I mean, there's all kinds of sayings around this. But I really think that the main point is when you're having a really bad day, when you feel yourself in that valley and you can't pull yourself out, you know, go have a walk, um, take a break, do some yoga, do some breathing. There's all kinds of techniques, but don't stay there. That's the most important thing. And as a founder, everyone around you is is getting their energy off of you. That's also And you, if you want to stay in a valley a long time, then stay in a valley, but your whole team will be there with you. So I think that's really important thing for people to understand because, and that I I honestly think for myself, that's the hardest thing because once you get your team down there, they may not be as resilient as you are and it's hard to get them back up. Then you're working like really hard. Yes. 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 How is it uh, working with your family? You know, working with family is always interesting. People ask me this question all the time. And look, I'm working with my sisters too, right? So yeah. there's always a dynamic there. And But it's a lot of fun. I've been very blessed to work with my father for a long time. And I actually think of many of our employees as family. And so it's like working with an, an extended family. And look, there's challenges to that because, you know, you have that kind of that closeness piece of it, right? And people know how to kind of get it under your skin and those kind of things. But there's also beautiful parts of that because you're really able to grow together, do something together and have that kind of fulfilled life. And family is just so important, especially in today's society. I think that we undervalue it at times. Um, But if if we treat each other that way, then it just makes life so much better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's awesome that you, to build something like that I and mean, you're building a legacy, right? It's really cool. Well, you know, one day at a time, but, um, I do, I do hope that, you know, the future generations, even if they don't run this business or, or in the rice business, I hope that they keep that sense of sense of family and that they treat, you know, other people with dignity and respect as you would your own family. Yeah, that's amazing. What are you hoping for with the brand? Where do you want to, where do you want to, like, what's your big dream for, for Four Sisters? I have really big, hairy, aspirational dreams. People sometimes look at me and they're like, "Eh, I'm not trying to compete with them. So I don't care. Um, I really hope that one day when people say, name a rice brand, they name our brand. To me, that would be the ultimate goal. Because right now, many people don't even know what product they're buying. I think that they, if you ask 10 people, a few people could name the brands. But there's really, there's not really one that stands out above the other. Um, There's definitely bigger players and more established players and more dominant brands, 100%. But I do, that would be my, my big hairy. I mean, it's, it, it feels like a really good one because like you said, I think the category is due for a shakeup and what, what do you think it's going to take for you to get there from a, like, how do you make people get connected to a rice brand when right now there's a very little emotion around that? It feels, it feels like that's what the category needs, right? Some emotion, some people who really fall in love. 
I think we have a few a few headwinds to get there, but I also think we have some tailwinds in the fact that for the first time in a long time, I saw some data about this recently. People really care about where the food is coming from that they're eating, right? And they want that transparency. They want to like go all the way back to the farmer and say, you know, this is where this particular product came from. And so we can provide that. And I think that the more and more we we see as we open up, even on some of our social media channels, open up even the processing or farming and aspects of that, we're getting a lot more people engaging with the content. So people are very, very curious and interested about the product and about how it's made and all those things. And so, you know, I think it's going to take, you know, time. And I think it's going to take a significant effort to get people to really think about rice as something different than a commodity. But I do think it's possible because of just where the consumer's mindset is across all categories, not just rice. A hundred percent. I mean, the ingredient stories are super important. Just listening to you talk about it. I don't think we think about rice as anything. We don't know where, I mean, generally, I I think if you ask 20 people where it came from, they would be like, I don't know the bag that I buy it in, right? Like most people say Asia. Right. Or that, right? So I think it's so interesting when you talk about farming and agriculture and rice, I think that just getting people to start to think about it that way would be a huge aha for them. Oh, wait. I should be thinking about where this comes yeah. from. This isn't all the same. Yeah, I think it's really interesting and and I think super super exciting. So I'm I'm excited for you guys cuz I and you're talking to families and you are a family, right? That's cool. That's what people want right uh, now. I think so. I think people want to be connected and and feel like they're part of something and trust the brands that they buy. And rice again can basically be served in every single cuisine which is so unique to to most food products, right? There's really not a cuisine that can't be started with rice. And in fact, beyond like, you know, some European cultures that are more potato-based and, you know, I would say the U.S. culture even that has been more potato-based in the past, every other culture starts with some kind of rice product. Yeah. So there's just so many things you can do with it too that it makes it super versatile, super easy to be mixed in. And I, I don't know, it's, it's, um, again, it needs to be the star of the plate. It does. I love it. A lot of times at the end of podcasts, I ask founders to give advice, like tell, give a couple of things that you've learned along the way that you want to make sure people know that could either help them avoid something or help them get where they want to go faster, or even, you know, you talked a lot about distribution. You've got a lot of distribution. You've had some, some really big wins, and then you've had a couple of setbacks. What kind of advice would you give to founders who are either thinking about starting a brand or sort of in the thick of it right now? I tell people this quote a lot, but it hung in my father's office for a long time. But the quote is every day in Africa, a gazelle wakes up and he has to outrun the fastest lion, right? And on the flip side, every day in Africa, a lion wakes up and has to out, you know, has to outrun the fastest gazelle. So I guess the point is, is that you better keep on running, right? And you better be able to get yourself up a lot faster than the normal person. You can't stay in those valleys that we talked about. And you don't necessarily always have to be the fastest, but you have to make sure that you're continuing to run and continuing to, to knock it off, you know, brush it off. 
when you do hear the news because you're going to hear them constantly every day. Yeah, I love that. I cannot believe there's a quote I haven't heard, but I've not heard that. And it's wild. That's a good one. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's true. It, you know, I mean, there's always somebody that's going to be on your tail or you're going to have to be chasing somebody. Right. And so no matter where, who you are in that, you know, where you are in that journey, you can't get complacent. And we see that with the large brands too, is that, you know, you kind of have brand dominance and you get complacent. And then you see that with startup brands and the fact that it's just too hard sometimes, right? And so you get, there's always another challenge and especially over the last several years. And, And look, I mean, some of the challenges, you know, you can't, there's certain things you can't do about, but you can control yourself through them, right? You can control your mental state and the state of the people that are around you. And um, sometimes that's the difference maker. Yeah. I think it's always the difference maker actually, because all of us, right. You could give, I mean, it's hard work and you have to find the energy. I also think there are some personality types and that's why you're an entrepreneur that just know that innately and can do it. And then there are people that are never going to do it and they're never going to be starting things. And that's okay. I think it's important to know the difference too, because it's hard. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, look, I mean, there's this lifestyle is not meant for everywhere (laughs) by any um, stretch of the imagination, but, but that's okay. Right. We're all different. That's what makes the world really beautiful. And you're, you're also a mom. Yeah, I am. So you have a lot. How do you balance all that? People ask me this question and I'm like, you just do right. And I think that that's what's the beauty of mothers out there is that we just do it. We just don't get to think about it. We don't get to think about it. We just make it happen. And I am really blessed with the fact that my husband is very supportive and he helps me a lot. And so I actually have um, a nine-year-old, a five-year-old, and then we had a surprise third child who's eight months old. So that's been an interesting year. But I think he's actually better with a baby than I am. It's uh, it's a little bit ironic, but again, it's a it's a team effort. Don't be afraid to ask for help and enjoy the moments. They're only little for so long. So, yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, that's funny. I think what you said about moms is true, and I think that's what makes yeah. women actually really good entrepreneurs. You don't get to get sick. You don't get to be down. No, you no. Don't, it's not even an option. So going doing rolling that into a business is sort of natural in a way. Like you just don't get to have the lows because there's no time for them. You got to keep moving. I think that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And, and sometimes, you know, you don't even get time for the highs. So, you know, it it does create that balance, right. Of life, but it's look, I mean, every, every day is an adventure, but you wouldn't want to miss the ride. So that's, that's part of it. Awesome. Anything else before we wrap up? I mean, I think there's so much good stuff in here for people who are like, what do I do next? How do I deal with this stuff? But anything that you want to share that we haven't gotten to? No, I think this was great. I really appreciate being on the podcast and um, being able to share a little bit of our story with you. The main thing is just, you know, I hope women are encouraged, right? I hope that they have the confidence to do the things that I know that they can do. And, you know, I hope that they, they feel like they can do things that maybe they didn't see other women doing in the past. Yeah. It's so inspiring. I'm so happy that you came on. I'm really impressed and rooting for you guys so much. I really think you have something here. So I'm excited to see what it goes. Thank you again. Yeah. Thank you so much. Okay. 
Thank you for listening to The Irresistible Factor. I'm Christy Bridges, and I can't wait to see you next Wednesday. Wednesday.